The Athletic. Huge story coming out of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, announced by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman that a Saudi sports club investment and privatisation oh, project like will be put in fans uh, in Qatar. I met some of them. They are football mad. They're football crazy. And they're crazy about the Premier League. It's the question being asked on social media, WhatsApp, group chats, and most probably around the dinner table in Premier League-loving households. As a raft of Chelsea stars are linked with the riches of the Saudi Pro League, what exactly is the club's link with investment from Saudi Arabia? I recognise that people are going to call me a hypocrite. The thing that you galvanised everyone against, you've now partnered with. So, of course I understand it. It it is hypocritical. It sounds hypocritical. And after taking on golf and winning, how far will the Saudi Pro League and the Kingdom's big play on football actually go? A little later on, our football correspondent David Ornstein is going to be joining us to talk about some of the big names that might be getting ready to pack their bags to join the Saudi Pro League. But let's start with the links between Chelsea, their majority stakeholder Clear Lake Capital, and Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund, PIF or PIF. To do that, we need the Athletics senior football news reporter, Matt Slater, who has joined us. How are you, Matt? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm ready for this, but it's going to take a little bit of unpicking. We need people mm. to bear with us. Matt has made it his business this week to explain the situation and answer the question, is Saudi Arabia funding Chelsea? The answer is complicated. We will try and unpick it for you. But let's set the scene a little bit first. So bear with us for a moment. Saudi Arabia and sport in general, inextricably linked for quite a few years, be it F1, boxing, golf, now football, overt investment into Newcastle. There's the 2030 World Cup bid in the mix as well. Matt, let's set this scene. In a nutshell, why is Saudi Arabia pushing this diversification of investment so much and who is driving it? The why. Okay, the starting point, I think, has to be diversifying the economy. So I think people will get their head around the fact that Saudi Arabia is a very wealthy country at the moment. It's a bit of a one-trick pony. Oil and gas, really oil. There is a window of opportunity there. That window is perhaps stretching further than some people would like it to stretch. At some point, it will run out or the the world will move on from fossil fuels and Saudi Arabia is going to have to think something else to do. So diversify the economy. They've been talking about it, other Gulf states, anyone that's got oil and gas has this in their minds. The guy that's driving it, very important figure, he's the crown prince, the de facto ruler, is Mohammed bin Salman, a controversial figure. I will probably double back to explain some of the controversies, but he has been in charge basically since about 2017, 2018. He has this vision for the country, vision 2030, and diversifying the economy is the plan. We've got to get our people, relatively big population, young population, doing other stuff. We have to invest this money we have right now in new industries, new infrastructure. Tourism's really important. They've obviously looked to what the UAE, Abu Dhabi, Dubai have done. They've looked at what Qatar has done with sports. So they've looked at their regional rivals and gone, we've got to crack on. Now, football 
is the one that makes the most sense. It's their favourite sport by a long, 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 long way. And they're not bad at it, certainly in terms of the region. Obviously, they famously beat Argentina. Their league, where all their international players came from, which is quite unusual, isn't that great. Uh, it's probably about the 50th best league in the world. It's certainly not the best league in Asia. That's probably Japan. So there's a lot of lot of headroom there. There's a lot of room for improvement. And the key driver for both the plan is, is MBS and the money he's using he funnels it all through their sovereign wealth fund. Sovereign wealth funds, lots of countries have them. They're just ways, they're like endowment policies for an entire country. You take some of your, your mineral, your energy wealth, Norway's got a massive one, uh, and you use it as like a great big national pension scheme. Its money is everywhere. And I, I, I kind of mean everywhere. It's sprinkled everywhere. Uh, that's just capitalism. So that's, if you like, what's happening in Saudi. That's why they're doing it. And that's how they're doing it. Huge story coming out of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, announced by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, that a Saudi sports club investment and privatisation project will be put in place. So there, there is a obviously an economic element to this. That's the big driver. But reputationally, it's also really important. And then that brings in that word that most people associate with the argument or any argument surrounding Saudi Arabia. We saw it at Qatar with Abu Dhabi and, and Manchester City sports washing. Mm. So in terms of the reputation, how much of an impact can this have, this drive into football? Huge, right? So that, that's a, of course it's a reason. Of course. And they're not the first. They won't be the last. Um, you know, what was Vladimir Putin doing with Sochi Olympics, Azerbaijan and Baku and the European Games? I mean, you, you, you name it. This is an old, old, old story. Argentina and, and the 1978 World Cup. We love sport. People like sport. Think about the values associated with sport. Right, striving, excellence. It's positive stuff, isn't it? Get people talking about sport and not the bad stuff. There you go. That's sports washing in a nutshell. The other thing about sports washing is if you buy into things that people like, like their football team or just their sport, and you sprinkle it with money and love, you you kind of buy a little bit of loyalty. And I think we've sort of seen that uh, recently around Newcastle. So a fan base who I think previously, like nearly every other fan base, would have been quite quick to go, oh, look at Man City, oil money, da-da-da, artificial, fake. The minute they win the lottery, well, the tune changes, right? And you start to hear the message points of their owner. Engagement, Western hypocrisy, and look how far we've come, and we sell them arms. And yep, and round and round we go. It's it's an old dance. I'm not. I'm not remotely criticising Newcastle fans because lots and lots of other fans of other sports, other teams have gone through the same transformation. You're either, you're either comfortable with Saudi Arabia and engagement with Saudi Arabia and the idea that Saudi Arabia, Saudis might buy something that means something to you, or you're not. Trying to go through the dance of, oh, it's a wealth fund and isn't that different and that gives me enough degrees of separation from what's going on in Yemen or the number of people they've beheaded this month or how they treat LGBT community. No, no. Newcastle, Newcastle United. Newcastle. I'm going to stop here because... The Newcastle United supporters have got what they have wanted. The fact that it took such a long time for it to be ratified and whether that was due to TV rights or whether that was actually due to strong concerns held by the Premier League or connected parties. Um, there is no turning back now. 
well, there's no turning back for sport because this has been going on for a long time. You know, be it a tennis tournament in Dubai, a golf tournament in Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi sponsoring a cycling team, F1 going there, WWE have been going to Saudi Arabia for years. You know, sport has made its bed. But in the same way, the Western governments kind of make their bed, yeah. right? We'll, we will raise it with the diplomat. We'll raise it. Okay. But then uh, we're going to do a deal on Qatari gas as well because you lot need your houses powered. We've sort of made our bed. And, now, and, and then I think what's left is how you feel about it as an individual. So that's where sport's at. That is then a decision for, for fans to make for the future of the game, whether it is the game that you fell in love with as a kid or you're falling in love with now, whether you, you fall out of love with it. And that, that is a very difficult thing to quantify. Let's bring Chelsea into the argument. They just entered stage right. So we know about the Saudi link with, with Newcastle. Let's get into this relationship with Chelsea. What do we know about Clear Lake Capital, the majority shareholders in Chelsea and Saudi investment? Well, ironically, Chelsea, there was an element of sports washing to that as well, because of course they were owned by Roman Abramovich, a famous oligarch, a very close associate of Vladimir Putin, denied for a long, long time, but now undeniably demonstrated. It came to an end abruptly with um, the major invasion of, of Ukraine. Chelsea had to be sold, was sold, big story, auction. Todd Bowley was the public face of the winning bid a US billionaire investor. But actually, most of the money came from Clear Lake. This is their first big investment in sport. Really successful private equity fund. Started in 2006 in Santa Monica in California. Uh, has a reputation of buying mid-sized American companies. They basically set these funds up, these war chests. People can buy into them, sovereign wealth funds, insurance schemes, rich people, banks. There's nothing unusual about this at all. And they use that money to go out and buy companies uh, that they think are undervalued. Maybe they're struggling. They sort of see some you know, some growth in them. Uh, they tend to sort of sprinkle some love, give them some ideas, grow them, hold on to them for four, four, five, six, seven years, sell them. And they all make sense. They all kind of look alike and they've done well with them. Chelsea's the weird one. The whole conversation all over social media, and we're doing this podcast about, is that the public investment fund, that sovereign wealth fund I mentioned a few minutes ago, that has been driving Mohammed bin Salman's efforts to diversify the Saudi economy, that is now a very active investor everywhere, has also, though they don't discuss this stuff, but no one's denying it, and it's almost, it's, it's happened, is an investor in some Clear Lake funds, probably the last few, probably from about 2020 onwards. The maximum anyone can invest in one of these funds is 5%. Uh, the average is about 1%. Clear Lake's biggest ever fund raised, I think, 14 billion US dollars. I think there were 300 different investors in there from 40 different countries. I bet Norway's sovereign wealth fund is in there. Wouldn't surprise me. Australia, Singapore's. Some pension funds are in there. PIF is in there. Yesterday, Gary Neville saying the Premier League should put in an instant embargo on transfers to Saudi Arabia to ensure the integrity of the game isn't being damaged. Checks should be made on the appropriateness of the transaction. So having said that, is there a direct conflict of interest by PIF investing in Chelsea, considering that they're already investing in, in Newcastle? Well, there's certainly a perceived 
conflicts of interest. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. I wouldn't have written my piece. It wouldn't be all over social media. Gary Neville wouldn't have sounded off. Definitely a perception because, just to remember, just to remind, rewind a bit, Piff owns 80% of Newcastle United and is an investor with Clear Lake in what they do for a living. And Clear Lake owns, by and large, 60% of Chelsea. So there's your perceived conflict of interest. Now, when the Chelsea deal went through or went to be approved by the Premier League, the Premier League asked all these questions. It was vetted and they were assured and it was done internally and externally that no Saudi money was being used in the purchase of... Matt, in the same way that Saudi Arabia wasn't involved as a kingdom in in Mm. Newcastle. Again, there's your perception, indeed. (laughs) But what happened after the Newcastle deal went through? The rest of the league went, oh my word, what have we done? We've let the Saudis in. Man City was bad enough. We're going to tighten up the rules on associated party, related party transactions. The last thing we want is St. James's Park at three times what the rest of us think it's worth. So those rules came in. And that is why Newcastle, sorry, their improvement on the field has been magnificent. But the sort of growth commercially, the off-field stuff, the here-we-go element of it has been measured. But crucially, just remember that point. PIF are most likely to be a small investor, percentage-wise, in some of Clear Lake's funds, but not in Chelsea. Does that, however, mean they have links, personal business links? Yeah, of course it does. And they also have one with Todd Bowling. Piff and a Todd Bowley company called Kane International, a property company, last year announced a great big joint venture around a luxury hotel brand. So they have personal links. There's, there's your perceived conflict of interest. Okay, so let's bring that right up to, to date now. Why is it so relevant and why is it such a hot topic? Well, this is it. So the heat now, the fact we're doing this now as opposed to six months ago, nine months ago, is that Piff in the last week or so, has effectively bought or been handed the four best teams in the Saudi Pro League. And Karim Benzema will be enjoying his evening as well because he's got a very lucrative deal that has got over the line to play his football in Saudi Arabia after It's official then, Karim Benzema is leaving Real Madrid this summer. Now, this is something that just a week or so ago, nobody was expecting to happen. The Saudi Pro League is going through this privatisation, they're dubbing it, massive step forward, modernisation, professionalisation, where PIF take on these four biggest teams, they get 75% stakes in them. The next four best teams are handed to PIF-like companies, other sort of state-aligned companies like Aramco, the big the big oil company. Uh, and they're all going to be have money lobbed at them to raise the profile, raise the quality of the Saudi Pro League. All right. So here's your next bit of the triangle. So you have these aggressive buyers on the market, the new NASL, if you like, the North American Soccer League of the 70s, the new Chinese Super League, this league that is hoovering up whoever they can get their hands on, very much owned and funded by PIF. You have Chelsea, that there is this perceived amount of Saudi PIF money in the Clear Lake pot, if you like, and Chelsea very much needing to sell some of their 53 players and, uh, and and sort their own FFP problems out, going, brilliant. Uh, there appears to be a new buyer. Um, excellent. How many players would you like? Because we have a few. 
And uh, fans, as they often do, go, whoa, this isn't fair. Just at the moment when Chelsea were going to be hit with a sort of FFP conundrum, June 30th, you know, we're going to have a look at the books. Have you squared it all? Because you've been on this mad tear yourselves, this, this sort of trolley dash. This buyer comes along when the rest of the market is sort of kind of ground to a halt and is apparently just taking these expensive players off your hands and actually appears also to be kind of giving you money. Isn't this not a bit convenient? And they're owned by PIF. We think you're run by PIF. I don't like this. So here's, here's your, your new perceived conflict of interest. I will ask you another question on that in a moment's time, Matt. But let's bring David Ornstein in on the conversation, who can just bring us up to speed with uh, some of the Chelsea players and from other football clubs as well, who seemingly are going to be the next ones heading to this new party in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, well, it's a crazy situation and it's quite difficult to keep up with because there's been so much transfer activity We knew that Chelsea needed to shift a lot of players in this transfer window to balance their squad out, to trim numbers, to comply with financial fair play. And it seems that Saudi has come along just at the right time. There was a lot of talk in the industry uh, after Todd Bowley's visit to Saudi Arabia that we're assured was mainly to conduct Eldridge business, his other sort of key focus. But no doubt some conversations happened, some links were made. We saw photos of him with various people from the sporting world. And off the back of that, I started to hear that Chelsea were looking at a package of players heading off to Saudi Arabia. Maybe that's how they sort of initially explained it or expressed it. Obviously, the deal, protracted deal for N'Golo Kante, has been completed now. But as a free agent, Chelsea won't earn a transfer fee. However, they will save a significant amount of money on his salary, given that they had been in discussions and at one point were close to reaching an agreement on a new deal. And then you get into Koulibaly, something like £17 million. Obviously, they signed him in the 30s. So they're going to have to take a loss on him. Uh, Hakim Ziyech, This goes through to represent another loss too in terms of it being a lower transfer fee than they paid for him from Ajax, but still a transfer fee all the same where they might not have got one from elsewhere and a saving on the salary. Edouard Mendy too. Talk of a £40 million package for Edouard Mendy and Koulibaly. So, you know, if if one's uh, 17-odd, then you would expect the other's 20-odd. And that you know, might not be far off the value that Chelsea signed him for. And with depreciation, you know, that's probably seen as a good deal if he wasn't part of their plans and they're going to bring in another goalkeeper alongside Kepa. I think the big one to watch out for, and by the way, we don't know an outcome yet on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, is Romelu Lukaku, because clearly Chelsea would like him to go to Saudi based on the fact that they may offer the biggest transfer fee of anybody. Um, And of course, a really attractive salary offer for him initial indications were that he just did not want to do it he wants to return to Inter but that's easier said than done if Inter don't have the money to do it I hear that Saudi retain their interest in Lukaku and Chelsea clearly retain theirs so it will be a big question for Romelu Lukaku if it comes to it some of the reported transfer fees and salaries are not quite in reality uh, the same quite a few of them that I've heard have been actually lower in reality. But that's not to take away from the fact that there's big money being spent by the Saudi Pro League 
And right now, a lot of it seems to be coming into Chelsea. Although, let's wait to see these deals finalised before confirming them because they do seem to take quite a long time to come to fruition. But it's a huge story and it's not going away. So we've heard some of the names there from from Chelsea, Matt, and let's let's refocus this on on them. Are the fans that are worried and are calling foul, do they have a point? Or is this simply Chelsea and Piff being like two long-lost lovers on a beach, running towards each other with their arms out and going, oh, this is fantastic, this is perfect timing? Or is it more sinister? Can you understand why there is a, a concern? I can understand it. Yeah. And I have written a piece about it this week. <laughs> and I hate telling people what to think. I'm not a columnist, uh, a pundit. I'll leave that to other people. But I've done a report. I've spoken to experts and I have really tried to find people that will say, yeah, 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 you know, that that is a perfectly legitimate risk. Unfortunately, I couldn't really find those people. In fact, I found the opposite. I found people saying, uh, no, there really is nothing to see here. Uh, for a variety of reasons. Look, yes, Chelsea have a surplus of players. Everybody knows that. I often, when I approach these things, you know, is it conspiracy or, or cock-up? I'm more of a sort of cock-up sort of guy. Maybe that's just because I'm not clever enough to think of great grand strategies and I make mistakes. But I sort of tend to think that's how history goes. This, to me, just seems like very willing seller meets willing buyer. Yes, personal um, relationships will help. In terms of the optics, it probably didn't help at all that Todd Bowley has recently been in Saudi Arabia and has been, you know, all over Instagram with pictures from uh, of him with Saudi football officials. But it's not just going to be Chelsea, right, that sells football players to the Saudi Pro League. You know, g- give it a bit longer. And we've already seen Wolves sell, I think, probably the most interesting of the people that have gone because of the age, Ruben Neves. It's not a has-been. It's not a guy picking up a last check. It's someone who would be very much wanted by teams in the big European leagues, um, choosing to go to Saudi Arabia way earlier than uh, people were thinking even a week or so ago. Um, Bernardo Silva would be another one, though we shall see whether he goes or not. But I think Ruben Neves is, 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 is intriguing. So let's see who else manages to flog some players to the Saudi Pro League. But yes, I understand it because for a few days it looked like Chelsea, hold on a minute, is this not the answer to all of Chelsea's problems? Chelsea are not the only club that badly needs to to sort out their roster. It just seems like a sort of very typically football rush to judgment, a little bit conspiratorial. And I, having done my reporting, don't think there's a huge amount to see here. Okay, so the, the, the feeling is there is enough distance there's enough dilution to the relationship for it to be significant between Piff, Clear Lake and Chelsea but does it not almost reflect the fact that yeah Todd Bowley having photos out in Saudi Arabia it's fine we're just doing our business things you don't need to worry about it and almost ignoring the sensibilities of of football fans do you, do you hear the, the the worry from fans? Of course I do you know I'm a football fan too yeah um, and I've been reporting on this stuff um, with a sort of critical lens, for a critical lens for, for a long time. It's interesting to me that, for example, the NFL would not allow this stuff. That is that is run like a country club. You know, you have to know who the boss is, name above the door. The NFL 
the commissioner has to have a sort of direct line to the boss of that team to be able to tell them what we want to do because it's all a great big collective. And if someone wants to come in to join our gang, you lot all get a say. It's old fashioned and would be really hard to do here. But that is how they do it. The NBA, for example, very recently sort of looked at what's going on in basically soccer, you know, the rest of the world and thought, we're going to dip our toe into the private equity fund world. And they've allowed a percentage, quite a small percentage. So I think it's, I can't remember if it's 5, 10, 15, something like that, percentage of teams that you can buy. You can buy stakes in them. Funds can buy stakes in them. But they've actually come up with an interesting wrinkle that a fund can buy stakes in up to, I think, five different franchises. So again, you create that dilution. You you cap their element of control and you dilute it across teams to sort of avoid conflicts. European football is a bit of a free-for-all. And that is why we're in this sort of position. And that and I and I, I I report on this unease. This is kind of my bread and butter. So I completely understand where the fans are coming from. I just think in this particular case, the concerns are unjustified and perhaps fueled by the partisan nature of, of English football. I'm happy here. I want to continue here. I will continue here. And in my opinion, if they continue to do it, the work that they want to do it. For the next five years, I think the Saudi League can be in the fifth in the world. Do I think other clubs can make enough noise and are already making enough noise to just get the Premier League to do its job under the current regime and properly vet these, these transfer fees? Yeah, absolutely. And nothing I've seen so far, apart from the wages, but in terms of the transfer fees, I've not seen a completely out of kilter, ludicrous transfer fee yet. We shall see you know, how, how Chelsea and Barcelona and Juve and whatever other club that has surplus players, we shall see how they get on in terms of transfer fees from the Saudi Pro League. But I've, I've, not, I've not seen an insane one yet. So what is the intervention that an angry club might be demanding? You could say, well, it's not really about the fee. They've managed to shed some wages. Okay. You know, Chelsea wanted to retain Lingola Kante. But is there a problem there? I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not seeing the problem. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's two sides to the, to the argument. And, and it also, it comes down to the players as well. We know Romelu Lukaku, for example, might not be completely Quite. dialed into wanting to go and play. Messi. Messi, Messi didn't, didn't go. Yeah. Lots, of, lots of players will get big offers now from the Saudi Pro League and for a variety of reasons won't go. Quality of football, uh, the, 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 having a better option elsewhere, quality of life, cultural fit. I think that's one of the things that hasn't really been said out loud yet. But I think it's pretty clear that uh, Muslim players will be more uh, open to moving there. They'll be more attractive to Saudi Pro League teams. It just so happened, again, sometimes you've just got to acknowledge there's an element of luck here. Some of Chelsea's surplus players were high-profile Muslim players. It doesn't always have to be a grand conspiracy. It can just be, oh, they got lucky there, didn't they? Final question, and this is not confirmed, obviously, but it just seems as if we're going to end up in 2030, sat in Riyadh, um, at the World Cup final. Ooh. Oh, go on, you stop me. Why? One, because I've never believed that was going to happen. And I don't, I don't think they're going to bid. In fact, I'm hearing more and more they're okay. not going to bid. 
for lots of reasons. Their partners are a bit flaky, Greece and Egypt. The whole bid doesn't work. Uh, they're not the favourites. They won't want to go through the, the risk of bidding and losing. It's too soon after Qatar. So if you were to put that little teaser question and say 2034 or 38, they, they want a World Cup. Do they get it in 2030? Do they have to wait four more years, eight more years? They want a World Cup. Let's think, though, remember about their really big, their biggest punt right now is the Saudi Pro League. Who knows where their league will be in terms of how good it is? And who knows if one of their great teams, Al Nasser, Al Hittihad, whatever, Al Hilal, has not done really well in a Club World Cup. That, I think, is where they're thinking, right? We're going to become a regional power. We're going to become the best league in Asia. We're going to become a genuine rival to the big leagues in Europe and anywhere else. And our best teams are going to take the field in FIFA's expanded, enlarged, hullabaloo Club World Cup and not be sacrificial lambs to the best teams from Europe. They're going to compete. And who knows, we may have a Club World Champion. Matt, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for, for explaining it all. Oh, trying to. <laughs> of course, you can read so much more um, from Matt on The Athletic, on this issue, on the next twist on this issue, I'm sure. Uh, on the if you ath- like a debate, go straight to the comments. <laughs> Skip the piece, yeah. go straight to the comments. Hundreds and hundreds of comments. Yeah, keep right up to date with Matt's writing on The Athletic. Uh, you can take advantage of our summer sale right now, fittingly. Uh, sign up for just £1 or $1 for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Matt, thank you very much. And thanks to all of you for listening. Cheers. The Athletic. <laughs>